It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. When you're a gay kid, other kids sense that you're different. So it's a really pretty terrifying experience. But around adults, um, they accept me as one of their own. This is Death, Sex, and Money. To die. To expire. To pass on. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the way I feel when I'm with you. And need to talk about more. We got $70 or we got a pair of girls underpants. I'm Anna Sale. So hi, my name is Margaret Cho and I'm Korean. I am so Korean. I even have Margaret Korean. Cho has built her career around how she feels different. It's hard when you're a child of immigrants. Um, you know, you spend half your day in America and the rest of your day in a foreign land. Early on, her Korean immigrant parents were often the punchline. You get fucked up shit in your lunchbox. All the other kids would get granola bars and Capri Sun. I would get dried fish. This made Margaret Cho famous. By the time she was 25, she'd won an American Comedy Award for Best Female Stand-Up. And she had a sitcom. She was the star of All American Girl, the first primetime sitcom with a predominantly Asian-American cast. What do you think your mom would say if she could see us now? Oh, I know what she'd say. No tongue kissing! No tongue kissing! It was canceled after 19 episodes. Critics panned it for, among other things, butchered Korean language and pseudo-traditions. Margaret says network execs asked her to lose weight, in part because her face looked too wide on camera. In 1999, she returned triumphantly with a show called I'm the One That I Want. She was done trying to fit into neat categories. I went through this whole thing. I was like, am I gay? Am I straight? And I realized I'm just slutty. The special was filmed in her hometown of San Francisco. Where's my parade? Her sex life has been central to her act ever since. She makes fun of herself, yes, but she also makes fun of how uncomfortable it makes most of us to talk about sex. She's intent on filling those silences, and has been since she was a kid. I identified as gay very young. Like how Um, old? Probably nine or ten. And this is the time before AIDS, which I think that the world would never recognize now. You know, it was a time where really gay men had a hold on the world that was really magical and they could do whatever they wanted. And it was really an amazing, amazing thing to witness. Who'd you first learn about sex from? Oh, gosh. Um, I have not had the talk from my parents yet. So uh, according to my parents, they actually have not told me where babies come from. I think I learned the majority about sex um, when I was a very young girl. My father owned a bookstore in San Francisco that catered to the gay community. And it was a bookstore that had all sorts of art books and photography and and then uh, quite a large gay literature section. So I actually saw a lot of 
different kinds of sexuality in front of me. It wasn't um, dramatic and it wasn't odd. It was uh, a little bit um, um, mysterious because it did not include women. So I witnessed it and I thought, wow, you know, I, I, I was really kind of understanding the male body, understanding kind of from afar and kind of from around me. And so uh, it sparked a natural curiosity and it sparked uh, a desire to more more lean towards the female sex. Like I want, wanted to learn more about women. And so, you know, I really thought I'm queer or I'm that we didn't have those terms then. You yeah. know, I'm 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 different than other girls. You started by saying you've never talked about sex with your parents. Yes. To this day. We still haven't talked about it. <laughs> Can you explain how did that work where your father, an immigrant from Korea, opened a bookstore, ended up catering largely to the to the gay community in San Francisco in the 70s? Mm-hmm. How does that occur alongside a silence around sex in your home? Um, Because he was encouraging the gay men to talk to me about sex. He wanted them to explain everything about life. He wanted them to uh, tell me what what art was, tell me what music was, everything. Like he sort of thought, this is going to be like my finishing school. Because all he knew about really was to clean a fish. Like he really didn't know that much about culture, but he knew that these guys did. Because these guys were... um, very cultured. They were white. They were young. They were beautiful. You know, all came from very diverse backgrounds. But I mean, it was a, a thing where my father understood that he only had um, so much to give me, but he knew other people who could give me more. Are you close? Yes. Yes. How often do you see each other? We see each other every every couple of months. We talk a lot. We, we had this period where we were talking uh, several times a day because He's trying to make me do a show in Korea in Korean. And so it's very hard to communicate comedy in Korean. So every day we would kind of try to go over uh, Korean. I, I, and I still never really got it. it it's, it's not a really easy thing to do. Because comedy is very hard to do in any language. But if it's not your uh, sort of native tongue, it's, it's doubly hard. Do you go to Korea often? No, I haven't been there for a really long time. and And that has to do with my own desire to just kind of like live my own life and kind of break away from my family for a bit. And uh, it's a country that baffles me. The culture baffles me. Um, it's a very weird culture because there's so many great things about it. And yet it's so still extremely sexist and racist and um, kind, of in, kind of in both worlds at once. It's like very new and very old at the same time. Why do you think it's important to him that you do a show in Korea and Korean? I think he just wants me to bring what I have here over there. And um, also in Korea, the gay community is, is very, um, it, it, it's, they struggle a lot. You know, there's, um, you know, a lot of like uh, shame around it. You know, and they, they have gay pride parades, but they're very small. And people still cover their faces. You know, they don't want to be identified as gay and and the homophobia in the culture is 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 just intensely suffocating, and so I think he would like some kind of solution for that. Um, I know he goes over there often too. My mother and he go over there often, so they they sort of are in their own ways, kind of like a, a very very small version of P flag, hmm. you know, over there, which is really sweet. It is sweet. Yeah. Back in the 1970s, 
when Margaret was just a kid realizing she was queer, what it meant to be gay in America was dramatically changing around her. I was around a lot of gays and lesbians um, who at the time were very politically active. They were big supporters of Harvey Milk. Um, his assassination was an incredibly devastating thing for the community that Do I grew up in. you remember it? I remember it. I remember the candlelight vigil. I remember it being this huge thing that I, I was not allowed to go. I was too young, um, and it was too sad. Hmm. So my family's like, no, it's too sad. You can't participate in this because it's just it's too tragic. It's too sad. It's too sad. Yeah, it's too sad for you. You, you can't go. But I remember all of the people that worked for my father that time were there and uh you know they were just overwhelmed with grief and so you know it was a weird it was a weird time in San Francisco so from that point you know I got a little bit older uh then I witnessed the community um absolutely destroyed by AIDS like you you would see people beautiful healthy young men then you would see them looking a little bit off looking a little bit under the weather then you would see them walking with a cane, then you would see them in a wheelchair, and then you would never see them again. You know, when you, when you see that, you go, uh, 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 the, the, now we understand sex is a deadly thing. So that was the age of sex education, safe sex, and we were doing a lot of AIDS fundraising. And so that was the point where I became a comedian. Because otherwise, it was too sad. That's how Margaret's career began. She was still a teenager. She quit high school. She was hanging around grown-ups. She was an activist and a rebel. I had a pretty good relationship with my parents off and on. You know, like, somebody would fight, but I would just kind of go off and do my own thing. And then I would come back. I left maybe, I guess, like, 15, 16, then came back when I was, like, 18. Left, came back when I was 20. So back and forth. You know, not not so much a runaway, but, you know, I just wanted to be an adult. So financially independent yeah. at a really young age. Yeah, then which also. is great. I was once almost a, a uh, female wrestler. Um, I did phone sex. Really? For, uh, yeah, for quite a time. But I was, this was so long ago, it was phone sex that was recorded. So, and there was definitely a class system because if the the whiter you sounded, the more apt you were to do the recordings than talk to people on the phone. So if you didn't sound white, as I, uh, I guess as I do, uh, you were relegated to another room where you actually had to talk to people who call you. But since I sounded uh, white, um, I was able to sort of get the get the good job, which is just like... Which is just a long monologue of you you describing of... You would just describe the different things or who you are, these different fantasies or whatever... um, and then we got some sort of contract where we we did this thing called Hot Girls USA. So it was specifically for foreign businessmen to learn English. So it was um, very simple sentences like, you know, uh, noun, verb, where you described the foreign-looking man and um, how you were, you were blonde and you were tall, you had blue eyes and large breasts. But again, very, very simple, simple sentences so they could understand English and also have a sexual... Um, some kind of encounter. (laughs) I don't really know. (laughs) Yeah, but there's plenty of incentive to call again and practice your English. Exactly. At what age were you when you were supporting yourself with comedy? 
I think about that. I, I was pretty much supporting myself at comedy, maybe in my very late teens, early 20s, so like maybe 20. Um, live in my, like this, this sort of very advanced life for a teenager. Um, I, I was trying to escape being a child. Coming up, how Margaret tried to find her place in real life and on stage through wild sexual adventuring. I was really trying to figure out what I liked and what I wanted in sex. And when I was a little bit older, I was able to go to uh, play parties um, and see. And I kind of thought, oh, this is interesting to me because this is like very, very adult. I've been listening to your stories about cheating and being cheated on. It's like I'm a sideshow to the main event at a circus. What's a learning experience and what's betrayal? Trying to put myself in the shoes of the other man that is getting cheated on is what led me to break it off. Thank you for sharing. We're still collecting stories. Record a voice memo on your smartphone. You can email it to deathsexmoney at wnyc.org or just email me and write out your story. We'll use some of them in a future episode. And we're also including your stories in our weekly newsletter. You've heard me talk about this before. Every Wednesday morning, I send out an update about what we're working on, other audio we're listening to that we recommend, and some emails that we've gotten from you. It's great, but I want more of you reading it. So we're having a contest. Everyone who signs up for our Death, Sex, and Money newsletter before February 18th will be entered to win three books from the Death, Sex, Money reading list. You'll get a package in the mail with a thank you note from the whole team. If you're already subscribed, you're already entered to win. So sign up today. The contest ends February 18th. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. On the next show, siblings Teddy and Cammie Thompson. They're the children of British folk rock icons Linda and Richard Thompson, whose very public breakup in 1982 was chronicled on their album Shoot Out the Lights. We'll talk about what happened when the entire musical family, Teddy, Cammie, Richard, and Linda, reunited on an album called Family. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. 
Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Margaret Cho's comedy is marked by a certain fearlessness. Part of the act is how she's constantly subverting expectations about Asian American women. Demure, she is not. It was an S&M themed sex club. I don't know if I'm a bottom because it turns me on or if I'm a bottom because I'm lazy. S&M, sex parties with multiple partners, Margaret's done all of it and has talked about it, including on her current television show, All About Sex on TLC, where she gives advice about things like wearing socks and orgasms. It stimulated the nerves in your ankles, so I think there's something to ankles and orgasming. She's proudly outrageous. Part of that impulse, she says, comes from being abused when she was a kid. She doesn't like to talk about the details, though, to protect other young people who are hurt along with her. My childhood was really very odd. You know, I had a lot of um, sexual molestation, and I had a lot of... uh, you know, very inappropriate things happen as a teenager, too, that really wrested control from me. And so I was eager to become an adult and become involved in this alternative sexuality. You gain some control and power over, and power yeah. over my life, which is what I did, where it could be kind of fantastical. And it brought the fun back into sexuality. It wasn't threatening anymore. Um, you know, and that in, in there, there's quite a d- danger as well. You know, because uh, once you do that and you kind of claim um, your sexual adventuresome side, uh, y- you can really actually be victimized again. And, and that's a really terrible thing. You have to be careful because uh, you still got to protect yourself within these sort of so-called liberated communities because um, it's, it's a very, very – it's a difficult world. I think women's sexuality, we often considered public space. And it's very hard to uh, get people to understand, like, even though we claim we want this thing and we want sexual freedom, that doesn't give anybody the right to come and take it, 
You know, it's just a very, it's a very complicated thing. Um, like, it's very hard. Are you just like the murkiness of consent, even when you're in yeah. a sort of exactly. liberated environment? Yeah, exactly, because consent becomes very, very um, diluted. You know, in in environments where we're encouraged to be sexual and we're encouraged to be open, and and that is, you know, we're talking about play parties, we're talking about BDSM, we're talking about these communities that are really actually thrive in their negotiation. The most successful kinds of relationships in these communities really are built on intense negotiation. And so um, when there's not a great, great level and a commitment to that, it can go very wrong. Negotiating boundaries and trust, that was also part of her marriage. Margaret married artist Al Reidenauer in 2003, and throughout their marriage, they acknowledged that they had other partners, but were committed to each other until last year when they announced their divorce. Is there part of you that feels, I mean, your, your marriage was an open marriage and you talked so much about how you managed that as a couple. Mm-hmm. Has there been any sort of feeling of, of pressure that you had presented this alternative arrangement and, and as, a, as a way that could work and now the relationship is ending yeah, but it, the, 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 the reason for um, our split has nothing to do with um, that part of our relationship. It, it really is, is actually completely outside of that. You know, there's other issues that uh, it's unfortunate, but people just also grow apart. And that's just the truth of relationship. Sometimes you're only meant to be with somebody for a certain period. And, you know, it's like... It's like the the point of fall and winter. You know, we need to um, get rid of things so that we can regenerate into the spring. So it's just a cyclical thing. And if you can accept it as that, then that, that because that is the real truth of it all. Margaret's 46 years old, and she's been surprised that in relationships now, she's craving something simpler. I would say I'm retired now because it's actually not as appealing to me. <laughs> You're retired. Well, retired from um, swinging, uh, uh, sex parties, uh, orgies, um, huge kind of group sex situations. <laughs> and uh, the weirdest thing was like I, I realized now, oh, I just want somebody to hold my hand. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to share a milkshake with somebody. And the, the, the horror in <laughs> Me, like this great sexual adventure, realizing that all I want is these really simple things that I never really had as a kid. It's kind of kind of fun. It's really funny. When did you, like, when did that come to you? Pretty recently. Pretty recently. Um, I realized I never had that sort of time where uh, everything was very innocent. I never had that sort of time where you took things really slowly. And I realized, oh, I need that now. You know, because I have to go back and do that part. It's kind of like going to get your GED. <laughs> you know, like I actually like did all this stuff. Like I did all this advanced stuff, got a master's, whatever, doctorate, but I never got um, past third grade or whatever. You know, yeah. so I have to go do that preparation work. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've never thought about like when it's slower, it, it can be so much more. There can be so much more vulnerability involved because you're not sure if you initiate this one step, if that... Mm-hmm person is ready for that. It's not, yes. you know, it's not an agreed upon like sex party. So you right. have to sort of nudge your way. And it's very scary. You know, it's it's really scary to uh, 
just be a person with another person. You know, that that is the 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 truest kind of um, intimacy that I'm learning about, which is really uh, like touching and holding somebody's hand and, and really finding out what is sexuality, what is exciting, what is true um, intimacy, what is a true turn on as opposed to what is flashy and dynamic and seems like it's cool and whatever, a lot of props and costumes, but really, you know, maybe that's not that's not the solution. But I can tell people who are looking for that how to get it. That's comedian Margaret Cho. She's on the road this winter and spring with stops in California, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Canada, and elsewhere. Details are at margaretcho.com. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, James Ramsey, Chris Bannon, Greg Rippon, Caitlin Pierce, and Zachary Mack. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter, at Anna Sale, and so is the show, at Death, Sex, Money. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletter. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. So Margaret Cho's career has been one reinvention after another. But she says, compared to her extended family in Korea, one thing has stayed the same. All of my relatives have had some sort of plastic surgery, which like, I think I'm the only person in my family, besides my parents, that look like we're from that, that family. So it's really weird. <laughs> we're like the only ones that look like us still. So um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what that's about. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.